welcome to episode 38 of the Wasting Time podcast. I'm Chris. I'm here with Nick. How's it going, Nick? Hello. That was a very, very jolly intro. You got out, got out the right, well, right side you know. of bed this morning with a spring yeah, in your step. Yeah, I think so. I think so. In a pretty good mood. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? Yeah. Good. Good. Glad the weekend's here. What's been happening? What has been happening? I feel we're a bit out of uh, the rhythm of these because it's been been a couple of couple of weeks, two, three weeks, even maybe since our last episode with the Rational Anthem guys. Um, well, me even so, more so, and if if that's what you're, oh uh, yeah, that's, that's very, going by. Yeah, and very, I did listen to the episode and didn't appreciate the threats um, from the r- Rational <laughs> Anthem. Um, so we'll see how that goes down when they decide to. Grace these. Yeah, when they're over this way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It's good to good to hear from them. And good to hear, hear what they've been up to. Um, yeah, yeah. Really been been enjoying some of their music actually. So, uh, it's, which is which is completely new to me. So, um, yeah, it was nice. Good nice. episode. So well done. Rolling solo. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks. Man. It was it was a, it was weird at first, but they as I, I think. I said in the intro to the last episode, they made it easy. So, thanks again to them for that. So, what's what's been happening with you? You've been, you've been up to much. You've been to any shows recently? Did you make it to that uh, men's English tour? No, no, I'm really bad. Oh, you didn't make it in the end. I'm really bad. <laughs> yeah, I think it's just bad timing for me at the moment. Got got a hell of a lot on with work and um, some kind yeah. of other commitments outside of work. Um, so I didn't. And Spanish love songs were supporting as well. So I was really disappointed to not be able to make it um, but yeah hopefully we can make up for my lack of attendance at shows at, at Punk Fest by um, yeah seeing seeing lots of bands I guess really yeah I'm sure you're more more than make up for it anyway yeah. you you about- you clearly didn't catch the Menzingers either so well, um, are they, are they still at the to time come? of recording, it hasn't. It hasn't. Oh, okay. it, it's to, it's tonight at the time of recording. So, uh, and, but, but I'm out of town. But you're not going so either. So, so fuck, I'm not going. So no. fuck you for making me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> I was also tempted. Uh, Simple Plan were in London last night, but they were opening for Bowling for Soup, who who I don't mind, but I just I couldn't be asked to go to Brixton Academy for that. Yeah, new. I see they're would, doing a big tour. You, with new Newfound Glory, aren't they? Uh, an American tour, though, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That just got announced this week. Speaking yeah. speaking of Newfound Glory, did you did you check out their new song? I did. Yeah, it's not for me. What I don't do think? think. No, it's not the the right side of Newfound Glory for me. Uh, See, interestingly, for for me, it, like I don't love the song. I feel like the hooks not as good as it could be, and the lyrics are a bit lazy, maybe. But um. I like the the sound gives me hope for the album because that's the kind of new found glory sound I like because I really like didn't the, like the last two albums and this like the double time it's just kind like of drums polished pop and, punk basically yeah yeah because yeah. yeah, you remember on that last album they they had loads of uh, synths going on and stuff and yeah it just didn't really work for me whereas uh, yeah this gives me hope for this album. Are they are they still working with? I mean, are they still um, working with Ryan Key from Yellow Card or not? I wonder if he's like playing uh, it's, plays any role in terms of or played in, any role in, in terms of the recording. writing. Yeah, the writing and recording process. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. As far as I'm aware, he he he's only been like you know a touring member. 
yeah. I think. I haven't, haven't heard anything to the contrary of that. Okay. Um, but yeah, that, so that album's out as in, at the end of May, so we've got a bit of a wait for that. Fair enough. Even though Apple Music leak, leaked it by accident, so I think it's all over the internet if you want to find it. Okay. Which is a bit bad. Um, you mentioned Spanish love songs before. I think you were telling me the other day you, you're, you're quite into their new album. Is that right? I am, yeah. No, I'm really enjoying it. It, it is very emo, though. <laughs> Which, uh, yeah. yeah do, you like, do you like his lyrics? Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, w- when you're going down that route, I think um, it's it's harder c- to kind of make a connection, I guess, really. And you'd kind of really need to have experience of, of kind of that, of where he is, where they are in that moment and where he is in that moment to kind of have the connection with the music um, but if it, you know in terms of songs and the way they're put together I think they're you know really uh, really listenable and good good fun um, in terms of like the hooks and stuff but um, yeah what do, you, what, what do you think well it's I don't want to be too harsh on it because like on a personal connection like he he, he came and did this show about just just over a year ago and you know made the effort to come to my flat when he just when he just landed in the UK for the first time been awake for 38 hours and like and it was a great episode like anyone wants to go back and listen to a really sound guy and like so I feel like I I owe him a little bit and I feel bad in that I just I I don't not feeling this album at all um it's got you know it's got a few sort of decent cliche pop punk moments like musically but the lyrics just seem so uh, it's just you just can't connect with it I guess like no and I don't it, some of it feels I'm not saying it is forced but it feels forced to me some of the lyrics mm. and uh, you know because it, it's always sort of um, uh, depressing lyrics and stuff and obviously I get yeah. you've got to be cathartic about these things and like but I don't know it just feels a bit forced with his lyrics sometimes yeah did you that, like because I, I really I really liked the album before and like obviously had a similar kind of theme to it but the lyrics were a bit more creative whereas these are just a bit like ugh. yeah and Go I on, think if you, you yeah I just think if you can't connect with something that is quite deep and you know meaningful and really kind of feelings driven then it's it's i guess it's really hard to connect with the music unlike a song that's you know yeah about girls boys and cars and money you know <laughs> right another thing i saw did you see mxpx released a collaboration with uh with bad cop bad cop covering a dwarf song yesterday i did yeah the salt salt lake city um, i listened to it this morning actually yeah yeah it's all right i don't think it's you know it's very I don't know if you've ever listened to the dwarves much, but it's very, it's very dwarves. You know, yeah. catchy little fun punk songs. Basically. Yeah, yeah, it's all right. I can't see myself, I guess, going back to it too much. But yeah, 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 yeah sure, yeah. sure. Nice little release. Anything else you've been listening to? So there's a new British punk band called Hell's Ditch, and they feature members from bands who've been around the scene, like River Jumpers and Bad Ideas. Um, just want to give a shout out to Chris, who's in this band, who, who's always um, been really said really nice things about our podcast, and and I think he was he was in Bad Ideas, and like he reached out to us when he was in that band a few years ago. Um, but so him and some of his friends from the scene have like formed this new band. They're going to be at Manchester Punk Fest, so we'll ha- 
you know, hopefully try and maybe get them on the show then. And uh, they've released their first single, uh, which is available on all streaming platforms now. It's called Vacant Hearts. Should we give it a listen? Here it is. Yes, do it. Sounds, sounds promising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, I, have they got I a, always liked. Uh, have they got a full length kind of that's going to follow up? I assume, or uh, like an EP, or um, I don't know if it's an EP or a full length. He did send me the press thing. I can't remember what he said. Oh, we can discuss that with them when they're on the show. But uh, I just want to say I do like the guy. It's, so it's the singer. He, the the guy singing was the singer in River Jumps. River River Jumpers. Sorry, and I've. I've always liked his voice, like a strong voice, sings in the UK accent. Really reminds me of what uh, we were doing in Spineless Yesman back in the day. So I've got, always had the soft spot for River Jumpers. So excited to see what these guys do with, uh, with Hell's Ditch. Cool. And you, I guess you've seen some of the, have you seen some of their retrospective bands? Um, kind of at shows down, yeah, down well, in London as well? I, I feel like I've seen bad ideas before. River Jumpers definitely, because I think when I was in Spineless we played with them at least twice I think okay. they were always always good live band so so yeah looking looking forward to seeing what the what this what this new act's like live cool cool yeah one of um, many to look forward to at Manchester Punk Fest anyway yeah yeah definitely yeah, cool which is ever approaching yeah. um, anything else you want to discuss before we get into today's episode Um, I don't know you see Billy Bragg hanging out with Taylor Swift the other day at the NMA Awards? <laughs> no, 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 I missed that. I missed that. He presented, he presented awards with Taylor Swift and um, totally fanboyed um, the, uh, you know, the fact that he's doing it. Uh, so yeah, maybe, I don't know. Really, did he? Yeah, maybe we could see uh, uh, some, for, some form of collaboration, maybe. I did you, I don't know if you've ever seen Billy Bragg do his, um, he did like an award show um, uh, collaboration with, uh, what's her name? The one that did that glow glow show, the singer Kate Nash. Kate Nash. Kate uh, Nash yeah, he did the. Yeah, um, that, was, that was a few years back, wasn't he it? He did. Uh, it was New England, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe maybe we could get Taylor see Taylor doing the same thing. <laughs> you never know. That's yeah. fine because I remember the last time he spoke about Taylor Swift, it was slagging her off. For, remember when she took her music off Spotify a few years ago or something? Right. Uh, so he's obviously got over that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when he's been forced into, uh, yeah, giving out an award at a ceremony, yeah, sharp, yeah, yeah. sharp chat changed his mind. <laughs> but no, she's done. She's done quite a lot, though, hasn't she? Recently, to kind of come out and um, kind of criticise, I guess, her some of her past and some of the industry and yeah, how she works as well. Um, yeah. I think she's got a thing on Netflix at the moment, hasn't she? So 
might actually have, yeah, might actually have to watch, to watch that. that actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, maybe we should move on with... Uh, um, Let's do it. Yeah, with our interview anyway. So yeah, we had uh, Jonah Matranga from the band Far, from the band Gratitude. Um, does, so a lot of, does a lot of solo work as well um, by the name of One Line Drawing. And yeah, we had a, a nice long chat with him. So here it is. Okay, so we are joined by uh, Jonah Matranga. Is that have I pronounced that right? That's perfect, man. Well done. Awesome, awesome. How are you doing, buddy? <laughs> Good job, Nick. I'm doing really well. Um, just uh, yeah, having a sweet, mellow morning, working away. Been looking forward to this. Um, how are y'all doing? Good. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah Wednesday hump day. Yeah, good. Thanks, man. We're both we're both Monday to Friday guys, so uh, yep. yeah, it's all, halfway through the week, so yeah, pl- ploughing on almost the the end is in sight. That's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, and it's early evening for us both. Um, what, what, Jonah, where, where where are you based at the minute? Oh yeah, so I'm in San Francisco. Uh, so it's nice. uh, yeah, it's getting getting you know closing on lunchtime over here. Uh, uh, what what part what part of San Francisco are you based in? Uh, I'm out by the ocean, um, sort of near the Golden Gate Bridge on the west side of San Francisco, kind of in the northwest corner of the city. Okay. Yeah. Nice. How, how, how long have you been there then? Because, I mean, you, you're, you're originally from Massachusetts, right? I mean, when did, when did the move over from the kind of east to west come about? University. Okay. Um, yeah, I went to university down near L.A. and then moved to Sacramento just after university to start the rock thing and then ended up having my daughter out here and so now west coast is home yeah do you get nice. do you get much nice. do you have still a family back over there do you get back over no, much, I got some, no? i've got some close friends and a lot of memories but uh i have a very small family and now my sister lives on the west coast now my mom lives on the west coast um so we all kind of migrated out here slowly over the past 30 odd years nice cool yeah so how's um I guess how's twenty twenty kind of shaping up for you now? And then obviously we're yeah a month in now. Have you got you got much not much planned and lined up for the year? Um, kind of on purpose, no. Uh, and I mean my usual thing that I would have lined up is touring, and I've got a couple of things. Um, I know I'm playing uh, I'm playing a woman's fortieth birthday in Germany in July, and so I'm gonna. All right. build hey, I'm gonna build around that kind of a lot of the ways that I love to tour is when someone wants to do a personal show then that'll take me to that part of the world and then I'll try and build things around that so um someone wrote to me from uh Norway where I've never played um and so I might get to go up there and play um but in terms of I'm actually really not focusing on that right now because I over the last five years, you know, I wrote a book about raising my daughter and, you know, making music and stuff. And then last or well, no, 2018 now was the, uh, was the 20th anniversary of a record called Water and Solutions that I was a part of. And so I've been spending a lot of time reflecting, uh, on, on things and I have a million songs built up. So my, my real focus for the year, honestly, is just to put out some new music. Um, I'm building a community on my, website that I, that I want to have keep growing it's kind of a community for people who don't want to deal with the rest of the bullshit of the internet and the music networkers and all that stuff and just wants to be in direct contact yeah. um which is that's feeling really good so lots of work to do on that so 
I would say not a lot of specific plans, which okay. is on purpose, and hopefully a lot of room to get done a lot of shit that's been in my head for a while. Cool. I suppose yeah. as well you were you were pretty uh, you're pretty busy kind of back end of last year as well though right you were you were over over here exactly. for a while then. exactly and last year yeah last six months of last year were pretty much full on so I'm also resting from that I, that's a uh, that is very very true how was your um, yeah how was your time in the UK last last year oh I mean it's it's the best I mean I've been been coming over there since near the end of far since '97. And it's just been, I'm pretty sure that I've played more shows in the UK in the past 20 years than I have in the US. Um, oh, wow. And, okay. you know, if you had in mainland Europe, then for sure, I think um, it's just. Right, right. Yeah, it's, it's a very, I like, I, I just love it over there. I love, I love it just being over there. And I really love singing over there. There's just a different, something over there that really works for what I do. Any particular favorite parts of the UK haven't been here so much well it's funny I mean you know obviously London is a world-class city and like all world-class cities it's getting overcrowded and totally fucked and there's still it's still fucking London you know it's pretty badass so I, I love a lot of things around there um, and then Newcastle happens to be uh, a place that I've just had a lot of fun in over the past while there was a <laughs> place called trillions that i yeah. used to play yeah. a lot yeah um, I've, I've seen you in tr- trillions with uh with gratitude i must yeah, have been yeah. what 10 10 15 years ago maybe yeah at this uh, point, yeah 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 and i saw yeah, so you kind of do your own solo thing there as well yeah um, so there's a dude called steve jones there who, yeah I know steve. yeah yeah we know yeah, him. Yeah. <laughs> i mean you know uh and uh you it's, know him and big g him and gordon are two two of my oh, favorite yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah people in rock world and just the whole newcastle crew they're kind of the two people who i met first and they kind of stuck in my head but there's that whole community is is i've just yeah i've had some real real nice shows in that city in particular um and the north is uh the north is just i mean i gotta say i have i've had a lot of fun and i'm not just trying to be diplomatic but like all over the uk and it's been it's just so in and of itself it really does have a feeling and within the UK, I would say different places have different personalities, but the North definitely appeals to my kind of, uh, my kind of like sassy, give you some shit, curse a lot, but with a smile on your face, kind of aggressive, but in a sweet way, um, kind of drunk, but in a sweet way. I don't even drink, mm. but like just that vibe. Um, I find that the, the North really has that, and Newcastle is a town right. that really, really has that, um, and I, I enjoy that. I, it's a, it's an environment in which I feel safe and fun and happy. A bit of grittiness, grittiness to it, I guess. Yeah, yeah, a bit of grittiness. I mean, it's just East Coast, you know. I mean, I grew up in you know New England, um, so I, I've discovered in my adult life all of the things that that were part of my childhood culture that were essentially you know pretty direct imports from the UK. Um, so I, I've had a, I have a familiar feeling over there that I think is rooted in my childhood, and that I grew up in Boston and stuff. Nice. Yeah. I, I saw you at a really small venue, the the Surf Cafe this year. And yeah. It's, yeah. It's a, yep. a very very intimate intimate spot. You had a bit of tr- just... you had a bit of trouble though, right, with some I guess That's unwanted right. guests. That's right. I saw yeah. on your Instagram. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was that was frustrating. It's it's really sad sometimes when because that show honestly was I'd never played Surf Cafe and it was fucking brutal cold that like that heading into winter UK cold that just gets in your bones and uh, so we arrived and it just looked kind of weird. It was just kind of off in the middle of nowhere. Didn't really know what was going on um, and we had yeah just like it, it you know touring is touring is a grind already and we were in the thick of that so it was this intense thing and i didn't know how it was going to go and then the show just turned out so much fun and i was having such a blast and ultimately my central takeaway is that it was a beautiful show and it's true now that you mentioned it it was marred by my you know the it's funny when a whole room is talking when I'm playing, I don't care that much because it's just sort of what the room is yeah. doing and it's, it's fine. But when there's yeah. a really quiet, yeah. sweet vibe and a couple people are completely either unaware of it because they're so self-involved or they're aware of it and they don't give a fuck, that's a tough one for me. And so that was yeah. that was that night. And it happened to be people who, who I'd had a really sweet history with. I'd played a personal show for them and like been... Oh wow! I mean, I yeah. assumed when when oh, I saw that, cool. I assumed it was just because Surf Cafe. You get people kind of just come and go for drinks, you know, in that area. Right, right, so exactly. I, when, yeah. when I when I saw that, I assumed that it was just obviously some some no, passers by, was, you know. Yeah, no, that was my okay. fear of going into the gig. Was like, ah, this is one of those places someone might stumble into, yeah, and yeah, not yeah. understand what the fuck's going on, and 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 rightfully not care because whatever, they're just having a drink. Um, but it's a small enough room that there's no separation. Um, so I was worried about that. That did not happen. But as it turns <laughs> out, a couple of people who were I had really kind of gone above and beyond for in the past. Uh, it wasn't them particularly, but it was one of their friends. And then they were very defensive and protective of their friend. And I was like, how oh, could man. you of all people not get it? It's just, okay. you know, the, the yeah. So anyway, uh, it was it was a strange and sad ending to the night. But honestly, until you mentioned it. That part had faded from my mind. Oh, and I'm, I'm sorry for bringing. Oh that. no no. Yeah. I, no no nice no, one, no. Nick. <laughs> yeah. No, I would have remembered eventually and stuff. But probably I suppose, the best of talking about it. I mean, see, seeing you though, I mean, uh, you know, your shows obviously come with a, a level of intimacy that comes with it, and I guess this is something. You, it's not the first time you've you've had to deal with with kind of I guess crowds that maybe some are uh, totally kind of in that moment and some some aren't. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Have you got any it's tactics? A- Do you have any tactics in terms of tackling it head on or just? I mean, the central, the central, and actually the first time I ever uttered this perfect fucking tactic was opening, I believe opening for Thursday, uh, forever ago in the early aughts. Um, oh yeah. And, uh, at, at a pretty big venue. And so, you know, again, it was a big venue and I wasn't expecting silence or anything, but the people up front were actually real cool. It was real sweet. Um, and the whole vibe was feeling really good. And... Yeah, there's just a couple little fucking wankers up front. Um, and at some point it just hit me. I, and it was just one of those great times when humility can really lead to a source of strength. Uh, and so I said, look, I know not everyone's here to see me, but I promise you no one came here to listen to you. And just <laughs> that completely flipped the whole dynamic. Because, of course, the rest of the crowd's like, yeah, fuck yeah. Even if I don't like this guy, I respect that sentiment, you know? And and so I, I just try and focus on, even if you don't give a shit about me, understand that there are people who might have driven hours, might not have seen me in years, might have seen me a lot and really love the music, 
you know, imagine it's an artist you really loved and wouldn't you want it to be chill and respectful? And I try and make it more about the feeling in the room because it's not about my ego. Like I've played in noisy rooms and not noisy rooms and everything. It's all good. It's more about when I'm in the audience, I love it when the audience is respectful of that we're all in there together. It's a public space. Um, Mm. So it's not really the time to be, you know, just like a movie theater. It's just like a, any public space it's just conduct yourself with awareness that there are people around you experiencing the same thing yeah. so right. and to pay to good up. money you know it's a good yeah to that's what i'm saying things, yeah, yeah someone yeah exactly someone fucking next to them paid money and they didn't pay i think i may have specifically said that like they didn't you know pay money to hear you talk to your buddy you know so stop <laughs> and yeah. so that tends to work um that's a frame that it's nice. There's a there's a phrase by a playwright called David Mamet that says, "Tell the truth. It's the easiest thing to remember." And what I like about that is that it's the truth. It gets around my bruised ego and is more truthfully about the feeling in the room, which is, I think, the most important thing. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah makes yeah. sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, that 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 helped. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Generally, the way we often uh, like kind of structure these, obviously yeah. they kind of jump all over the places you'd expect. But like Please, uh, one thing we do try and ask early on is like do the obvious thing and like just. Uh, I wonder if you can like kind of take us back to back to the early days in Boston and like you know how you got into music. Like what what were those moments? Like what what were those early experiences with music like? Like what are the ones that stick out that you remember the most? Um. That's a good one. And by the way, before I forget, uh, I love that your podcast is called Wasting Time. Um, be, because, <laughs> Thank you. I, I mean, Farley Guy, I just think it's great and, and sweet, and I love that. And also there's a um, an amazing spoken word performance thing called Wasting Time with Harry Davidovitz by this guy, Danny Masang, this Jewish dude. Um, that's kind of about his kind of... Yeah, it's kind of like a little memoir in audio form of him going through his life and figuring out what what jewishness was to him and blah blah but the point is okay. i always really loved the uh the the you know the wasting time thing um so I, yes. when i saw your podcast name i was all excited <laughs> so wasting time with harry davidovitz it's good good shit anyway Check it out. childhood yeah. in boston um yeah i mean i had a pretty the best the, tracing it back the best I can. I had a pretty nuts childhood, a lot of poverty, a lot of chaos, and I think one of the times when life felt safe and good was when uh, hippies would kind of come over to our little hippie shack and play guitar and stuff. I think that was probably a time when I felt safe and happy. So I think that's kind of where I got interested in the idea of music as a kind of a calming presence um so i remember that from a real young age and my mom who's not a particularly sort of you know gifted singer or whatever who but she really loves to sing and she's really enthusiastic about it she would always sing to me and my sister and i think that probably got through to me too and so i was real curious about music from from really young age i think i probably got my first electric guitar in about you know in middle school about sixth or seventh grade or something like that and the yeah. people who I bought it from happened to be making a movie about young people and music. And so they ended up making me the subject of this little documentary they did called, and they ended up calling it Jonah Wales, like W-A-I-L-S. But of course, the pun on Jonah right, and the yeah. whale. Uh, 
And so, yeah, they never finished it. But I really remember shooting the performance parts of the movie. They paired me up with this rad punk band from Boston called The Dogmatics. And uh, we, I remember us playing this uh, Chuck Berry tune that the Stones had covered. So, you know, um, and we, yeah, I remember filming that. And again, even though the movie never happened, I never even saw the footage, just that process was really exciting for me i think um and then yeah i mean you know just playing the school talent show and shit and eighth grade graduation and i guess the main thing i remember of all that is we played covers but right from the beginning when i was into music i was into writing my own songs i think when everyone else wanted to practice their instrument or get really good at something all i really <laughs> wanted to do was put on my headphones and make recordings um and that that is my early musical life for sure is writing terrible poems and putting them to music. Um, and, uh, yeah, lots of songs about feeling alone in the world and, you know, stuff like that. And, um, it's, but they really helped me. They really, really helped me. So when, so when did, uh, I guess you develop into the, I guess the, the bands and obviously I guess far was your, your first, uh, kind of big bambas any anything anything before that no uh, no all terrible you know student bands yeah you know just right so that you know a few terrible band names in high school a couple more in college um or yeah, rather yeah, college and university oh yeah sure uh f- in in probably in in order through high school uh was well no through grade school really starting then starting about seventh grade False Identity, Turbulence, okay. Shot in the Dark, Fargus Martin and his Band of Woe, right. Missing Missing Cat, uh, <laughs> and then I think that might have been it for high school maybe. Then in college, there was Falling Rock, <laughs> uh, Pieces, I know, it's just so terrible. Um <laughs> And it's so so the all those first band names were all basically like post punk pop bands, the high school ones. They're kind of okay. Cars, Joe Jackson, Pretenders, Clash, U2, REM kind of vibes, you know, yeah. just um, kind of peppy, uh, angsty music. Um, and then in college, Falling Rock was this kind of like hippie jam band kind of thing. And Big Booty <laughs> was this kind of party uh party rock kind of funk thing um funk funk in air quotes for sure in in big white air quotes um and uh and then i was in a band called pieces of fuck um and and we were yeah and we were we were more so like arty crazy ass band than our our stated goal as the band went on is we we performed until everyone in the audience had left. Um, okay, that was that was our that was our show arc. Some good so success was, criteria you had that yeah. with that band then. <laughs> yeah, this was pretty beautiful. Um, and through it all, especially sort of towards the end of high school and into university, I was doing solo stuff too. The first thing I ever put out was a solo cassette, um, so I have nothing released with any of those wonderful band names on there. Um, 
Yeah, so I was doing solo stuff the whole way through. Uh, and so none of those band names were ever immortalized in, in a release, sort of sadly and happily. Um, and by the time I got done with university, I was really excited about doing solo stuff. That just felt, yeah, just very interesting and simple to me. And I was looking for people to play with who, yeah, who wanted to, who wanted to do something more, not weird in any way, but just, just more that was ours. The bands that I was in in university really weren't, you know, Pieces of Fuck was entirely self-indulgent and fun. And Falling Rock and Big Booty were also really, really fun. And, you know, we played some covers. We played a lot of parties again. It was, it was more that kind of vibe. And so I wanted to be in a band where it was yeah. much more about the songwriting and about crafting something that was really our own deal. Um, and that's where I met, uh, you know, and I went up to Sacramento one summer and met the guys that would become far and they were looking for a singer that band that didn't want to be a traditional rock band. And so we had lots of differences and we had a central idea in common, which kind of led us through. Okay. Yeah. Cool. And you, you guys were together, what, for 10, 10, 15 years? Like, good. No, I mean, like, I mean, at the, at the, from the first practice to the last show, uh, eight years. Right. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Ninety-one to ninety-nine. Well, well, nah, fuck. Even shorter than that, really. Okay. Ninety-one to no, seven years. Seven years. Wow. It's kind cool. of trippy. You re yeah. you released quite a lot, quite a lot in that time with those guys, though, right? We did all right. Yeah, we did yeah. all right. Um, a couple of couple of indie things, and then a couple on Sony, and then one more on Vagrant, and yeah, you know, it was it was, it was a really good run. How, I mean, how was for that for you personally, I guess, in terms of, you know, you got Sony and Vagrant kind of starting knocking the door quite early, I guess, in your career. I mean, that must have been pretty, pretty exciting time for you at that, at that moment. It, it yeah, was. Yeah, you have been, what, was, your early 20s or something at this point. Yeah, I mean, there were honestly other things that were in the headlines and that I was becoming a father, uh, at, you know, um, right, right as I was turning 25. So I had right, been in yeah. FAR for a few years then, and, and but my impending fatherhood definitely upped the ante for what I wanted and needed out of a band, both you know, both artistically and financially. Yeah. Um, so that was really what my mind was on, was how do I make this work without abandoning my daughter, basically. Um, right, right. And we were look at because someone who didn't have a dad around when i was a kid i really did not want to repeat that cycle um mm -hmm. and so we were ironically before she came along we were thinking ourselves more more of the kind of an indie hardcore band we were trying to get on labels like victory and Re revelation um what the fuck was that band the first band to pull out oh god uh, elm 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 something about elm um deep elm records i think uh okay oh deep elm it, records yeah 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 they, they were the they're the first label i ever knew of to like use the the word emo in in their yeah. sort of marketing um yeah yeah that, that, and yeah that makes so sense, we thought yeah. of ourselves as part of that scene that post-hardcore emo when it meant something entirely different than it does now 
uh, scene. Because um, back then emo yeah. was a little bit a, a word for misfit rock bands who just didn't, who yeah, either were yeah. too happy or too sad or too slow or too fat, whatever it was, just kind of an, it was kind of an anti-macho thing, basically, is like an anti-masculine rock thing. So keeping mm -hmm. aggressiveness, keeping heaviness, keeping all that stuff, but without the sort of bullshit posturing. Um, so we were into that. And we basically, as far as I can tell, just weren't cool enough. You know, we just, our music was, <laughs> was a little too, I think, uh, I would say bombastic. Um, it, you know, it was a lot of dynamic, which kind of fit with that scene. But I loved big choruses and Sean loved big, thick guitars. Um, mm. And we were all, we were raised on Zeppelin as, we, as much as we were on Fugazi and Bad Brains. You know, it was, you know, and I in particular was raised on fucking Sinead O'Connor and Simon and Garfunkel and Ricky Lee Jones and right. Tom Waits and all the stuff that had, you know, Prince that had nothing to do with rock and roll. So we were a weird, weird, weird band at that time. And so the indie labels didn't want us, long story short. So we stumbled into Sony not like let's go get that brass ring but they're the only ones who would sign us um right. okay truth be told uh so that's kind of what happened and it really saved my life because our first advance though it wasn't much got me yeah got me through the first couple years of being a dad you know and, and kept food on the table and um so those those sony years were really much more for me about uh not to be too hyperbolic about it, but essentially about survival. Yeah. And by that, I don't mean literally staying alive, but I do mean staying out of the squalor that I grew up in and raising my daughter in at least somewhat yeah. more yeah. of a stable environment emotionally and financially. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, you know, I've still never, I've never lived in a, a full house. I've never had a washing machine. I've never had a dishwasher. I've never had a new car. I've never had a lot of things. And that's when I started making a living, a modest living, playing music was back then, and then it never stopped. So that's what I think of the most when I think of those early, those early major label days. And I also think of these days because I don't know what the fuck I'd do if I were a musician starting out now. I, I just, the, the old major label system that everyone complains about, I mean, they definitely had their issues. And like the, you know, the fucking Spotify and iTunes overlords make, Sony and Atlantic look like uh, a really benevolent arts foundation. Um, <laughs> this is very true, um, it's, isn't it? It's really, it's a whole different thing with money these days. So I don't know what the fuck I would do now, but back then I, I felt very lucky. Cool. Um, yeah, so there, that, that's, what, that's what's good. My, my life was real, real, real full. I actually don't remember a lot of it. I remember some little moments, but I was going so hard just... You know, at first trying to keep my marriage together and be a dad, and the marriage fell apart. But yeah. we focused on, you know, our parenting, which was great. And then there was music, and I had to, you know, right. do that. It was, it was, it was a lot. There was a lot going on. Yeah, suffice to say. What, what was, what were some of the most fun, fun tours around that time? Uh, the thing that comes to my mind is touring with Strife. Um, they are a hardcore band from Southern California, and uh, they were just. They were just total fucking troublemakers, uh, and right. so we would we'd prank each other on the road and stuff, and um, and we would do shit like, you know, if we were on tour in some, you know, 
roadside restaurant in the middle of nowhere, we'd always get the whole thing of like, oh, are you guys in a band kind of thing? And so we would we would pick whatever bands were the most famous, like in terms of a hit single, but the most faceless. Uh, and we would just say <laughs> right. we were them. So, you know, we'd be Dishwalla or, you know, any, you know, any number of bands that, uh, that no one knew what they looked like. They just heard the tune. Um, so we would just pretend to be them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we would just do goofy shit. And that at the time that really appealed again to my Boston kind of like fucking shake it up, take the piss kind of, that's a lot of my energy, you know? Um, and yeah. so I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed Sensefield, playing with Sensefield just because they were the most like us of any band I thought we played with. We were kind of heavier than them, but it was the same sort of uplifting, get beyond the macho bullshit kind of vibes. Um, loved playing with Snapcase. Uh, they they mm -hmm. appealed to sort of like the angular, cerebral kind of rock vibes that, that I've always really loved. Um, those are the, those are our, you know some touring partners. I mean, Seven Seconds took us out on our first actual kind of relatively national tour, and that was just a total education in how to be a cool band and how to be cool to someone you'd take out on the road. And they are of course you know yeah. this iconic punk band, and watching them play course, was yeah. just fucking mind-boggling. So I really really remember that. That's all pretty early days. I think when it got more into Sony days. Honestly, the tour has got a lot shittier in some ways, but <laughs> really? I still remember. Yeah, sure. I mean, we were paired up with bands like Monster Magnet. No, no shade to them. I actually like their music, and they were incredibly kind. But we were not a fit for their audience, um, and we weren't okay. really a fit yeah. for most bands' audiences. Uh, we really weren't. I mean, we, we whether we were playing with Promise Ring or Monster Magnet, we didn't fit. Um, and we didn't really know where we stood. So we definitely had fun with Deftones. Obviously, they were some dear friends of ours. We had a lot of fun in the Sacto scene. And Deftones took us out on some of our first tours because they were like always kind of like, you know, a couple rungs up on the ladder. Um, so right, that yeah, was cool, yeah. torn with them in Willhaven. That was just like going with your buddies. You got in fucking rock. It was, a, you know, looking back, it's a pretty lucky thing to go out with all people you know from your hometown, essentially, and go play tunes. So that was really fun. Um, but again, by the time we got to the major labels and the more, yeah, the more sort of touring-centric record cycle thing, I was so fucking stressed out. Uh, and the band had enough difference in it, which is part of what I think made us interesting. But it also, we just fought a fucking lot. And so the, I think the more stressed out my right. ex, outside the band world got, simultaneously the band was becoming less of a refuge and more of its own pain in the ass mm. um and I, i'm sure i was becoming a pain in the ass to the other people in the band i had very different needs than any of them i couldn't really tour for very long i mean i could but i didn't want to tour for very long because i wanted to make sure i got home to see my daughter and again like so trying mm. to juggle yeah. these really intensely big things it 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 fucked up a lot a lot of opportunities for us um because we we couldn't as a band do longer tours because I wasn't available for that. So even if we'd get offered a tour that might make sense, um, I didn't want to do it. And eventually I just was so yeah. sick of the, the sort of 
Adidas and dreadlocks kind of heavier rock kind of thing that was happening then. <laughs> yeah, that I, yeah, yeah. I, I just, I, uh, I mean, pretty, what, what really sealed the deal for the end of the band was we got offered a tour with Incubus and System of a Down. And at the time, Incubus was just starting, they were sort of like blown up in a small way like Deftones, but not huge yet. So it was still going to be yeah. smaller venues. And then System, yeah. you know, t Toxicity hadn't even come out. They weren't big or anything. So it was either going to be System or Us opening. But it would have been a cool three-band package. And, you know, in, in hindsight, of course, I think, ah, maybe if we, we could have stuck it out and kept going. But at the time, it was going to be a longer tour. I didn't want to do that. I was really burnt mm. on just, yeah, just fucking shitty bros in the audience. You know, I just didn't, I just wasn't into it. Um and, uh, you know, and, and life was just, again, it was really, at that point, you know, my kid was like three, uh, I was getting divorced, the band was fighting, we were fucking tired, neither of our records had sold very well. It was just a, it was a stressful time. So it was the right move for me, yeah, and yeah. that was, yeah, it was... Um, it was it was it was a tough time. So so when that when that came to head, did you just I guess just go back to I well, I say go back, but kind of just I guess find a job and just take care of things where you were or I mean, yeah no jump, I yep I just went straight not nah, a job I think even at that point was kind of out of the question for right. me I think I might have been ruined for the workforce <laughs> right. I mean and again if I if I hadn't been able to pull it off doing solo shit then of course i would have gone and gotten a job but luckily okay. um i i just i was really into communicating with people i had a little website for my solo stuff like i i i had started onelinedrawing.com and yeah. um and basically two two really crucial things happened one happy walters who had signed far to immortal uh, along with paul pontius um Happy was the president. So Paul's actually the guy who signed his credit where credit's due, but Happy was the president of the label. He, we, he and I had kept in touch, and he very, very kindly gave me, I think it was 20 grand, uh, to, to make demos and to kind of give me a little bit of relief. Um, so that was a massive, you know, again, 20 grand obviously isn't much, but at the time it was a very, very... Yeah big chunk of money for me and it really helped me at a crucial time in my life and his thing was like just i want right of first refusal basically but i don't know i think he knew that i probably wasn't ever going to try or you know anytime soon going to try and be on a major label again um he knew what you know obviously he had gone through it with me and i pissed him off a few times too um but he was really kind so that was a kindness that i'll never forget and then also just all the people I was talking to on the, you know, the, we called it the share board um, on the website. They just encouraged <laughs> me to show them what my demos were um, instead of waiting to make a pro album. Okay. And it was a, that, and that became the first sketchy EPs, which are the first one line drawing things. And those were just demos yeah. from home. And they really, yeah, they turned into, the, the rest of my musical life, essentially, that became a kind of guiding light. Like, oh, wow, I can just keep in touch with this smaller group of people that really loves what I do and show them what I'm up to. And if they keep showing up, then, again, I'll never get rich, 
but I can keep going. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, at, at yeah. this point as well, had things kind of um, reached further than just the US and kind of into Europe exactly. at that point? Well, yeah, so, yeah, so I'd, I'd had a taste of Europe right at the end of FAR. Okay. And so one of the very, very, very first one-line drawing shows and the first place I ever sold Sketch EP number one uh, in like a little black cardboard sleeve on literally burned CDs that I burned at using the CD burners in the offices of Sony Germany because this festival Rock M Ring who had put far on the year before I believe uh, asked me back as a solo artist um, and so that gave me an excuse to go over there again and I made these I, I made 50 copies of Sketchy P number one just for this one festival show and I sold them all you know um, and yeah. it was just a, such again such an exciting moment for huh I could just do this myself it was just incredibly right, right. eye-opening for me and and that was when this kind of love affair with uh, I'm so sad I can't just say the EU anymore um, <laughs> This uh, oh, this man. when my yeah, love affair. That's a whole thing, obviously. I know it's a heartbreaker. We can talk more about that if you all want to. Um, but yeah, so it was a that part of the world really. I just got so into it. It was just a, it was. It hadn't the scene hadn't been ruined in a lot of ways. The the U.S. scene was getting ruined in terms of um, Live Nation and all that shit hadn't kind of monopolized stuff as badly at that point so there were still lots of small venues there were lots of small venues with a yeah. with a bed upstairs where i could sleep um in mainland europe there's you know there's venues subsidized by the fucking government to put on shows so no one's really worried about making money they're just worried about putting on fun shows and having a cool place for young people to be so there was just all this stuff that was so exciting for me and so i just started going over there as, as much as i could really and i and i was touring the u.s a ton at that time too and it was becoming more and more like living rooms and as the smaller venues went away and then just kind of alternate venues and all kinds of stuff but yeah that that is definitely when i, I went with sergio from quicksand he was doing a thing a solo project and me and him went over and i guess it must have been 2000 um and that's where I met Charlie, who then became the drummer for New End Original. He was playing with Sergio. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, th that's where a lot of stuff started for me. That was, that, that was 99 and 2000 were where I mourned far and let that go and got my feet on the ground for, yes, what would be, yeah, the rest. And I guess your, I guess your solo and one-line drawn and stuff has kind of sustained you all these years throughout all that, right? Yeah, with a, with a big assist in the mid aughts from gratitude um, yeah so did that, did that come out yeah. quite organically then or yeah it was it was i was i was i was doing as well as i ever have in music around 2003 i was the solo stuff was going great i was on a label called jade tree they were putting out records that were that you know were getting to people i was touring with uh bands and you know i was touring with like thursday and coheed and bands that that had kind of grown up on far and still loved what I was doing, and I would just hop on their bus, and so I wouldn't have to pay for transportation or anything. I would just get a bunk in the bus and just go up and be this little weird dude opening up the shows and selling a bunch of merch. So, like, <laughs> life was good. It was busy, but it was fucking good. And my friend Mark taught, was talking about starting a band, and he's a 
if you met Mark, he's just an incredibly enthusiastic person and it's very infectious. Um, and he was just like, let's just try writing some songs. And I was into it. And then the songs very, very quickly turned into a, a lot of, yeah, li- interest from record labels, which I hadn't even thought about in years. And, um, he led that charge and he knew people. Um, and yeah, we got signed playing our acoustic guitars on the top floor of Atlantic records for the president. I mean, it was very, it was very old school. It was very simple. Um, and it's not to say there weren't a lot of moving parts, but for me, I, going into the band, I said to Mark, like, I don't want to do the regular dog and pony show, but I guess it's, if you just want to write some songs and see where they take us, like, okay. And, uh, as it turns out, you know, it, um, we, again, you know, I got an infusion of money from that deal that, um, was, was really, really helpful in raising my daughter and, uh, making sure that, that we are okay. And, um, so it was like this strange revisiting. And then I very quickly learned again, what I don't like about larger scale, I would say probably industry in general. I would say it'd probably be the same no matter what it is, right. but in this okay. case, larger scale rock, rock industry. Um, it just, and again, being in a band was tough, uh, and just dealing with, yeah, with label people. Um, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't for me. Um, but it was a really important time in my life in a lot of ways. And, and the songs that came from it were very fun. Did you find, uh, I guess that, um, some, some of that, that, that success from, I guess the gratitude years had a, a quite a big knock on effect in terms of your your followers in going into kind of your solo one line drawing um, stuff. It's or? so and I. It's funny. There's, it's, I've had yeah a few different stages, where where I suppose I've kind of flirted with wider acceptance enough to kind of pull in some new people. So you know, of course, yeah. Far was the first thing that when I was doing solo stuff, I was the guy from Far, and that you know, it was totally okay with me. And then eventually I was kind of the guy from one line drawing. Um, and then gratitude, I would say, especially in the UK, uh, it, we kind of got started to get a little bit of a toehold, um, toehold. We played Reading and Leeds, which was incredibly fucking exciting for me, um, as a childhood kind of dream thing. And yeah, we, I would say, there are quite a few people who are still around who weren't old enough to see far or even early one line drawing, but did see gratitude. And we played with like funeral when, when funeral for a friend was real big. And, um, that was, you know, they were just this very, I remember just, they were this very popular within the UK band for a while. Mm. And there's a special thing when a band, yeah, when a band gets real big in the UK, but doesn't necessarily break anywhere else. There feels like a real love there from the UK that I haven't seen. Uh, it's it's like a local band, but the size of a country. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. And uh, I'm sometimes very jealous of it, honestly. With I think of Canada and I think of the UK is, and I'm sure it happens in other countries too. But those two countries, especially, probably because they're primarily English speaking, an artist can get really big in those countries without even giving a shit about the states. And then if they decide to come to the states, they come with a lot of resources behind them 
Um, and it's just, and it's, I've been, I've been envious of that at different moments in my life. And, um, yeah, so I, but we were the beneficiary of that because we got to play with this band that was really having a love affair at that time with England. Um, yeah. And I think it, and we were a complimentary band for what, where they were going to, cause they were drifting a little more into sort of melodic uh, kind of yeah, they were anthemic that point, territory. They? Yeah, yeah, they they hadn't gone over to where their old fans didn't like them anymore, but they were broadening their appeal both by sticking around and by writing just bigger songs. Um, so yeah, it was a great yeah. it was a great time to be touring with them. And yeah, but those shows would be funny because we'd play like a half an hour, but then I'd be there, and people people who knew me from online drawing would be like, oh, you know like come and play some more and so then i'd end up you know grabbing an acoustic guitar and going to a hallway of some big venue or just out to the van or wherever and like play for another hour just alone um so it 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 was this that's when i would say gratitude is when just all of the world's new end and one line and far it all just started to melt together and and i realized that all i really wanted to do was just sort of it was, I had known it already, but it really solidified to me that I just wanted to make music for anyone that wanted to listen and not worry about the wide scale success, but just play and keep in touch with people. Um, so I think, yes, gratitude on that level, especially around the UK, was a big help towards broadening my little world. And then, yeah, I mean, there's still people I know who the first band they heard me in was Gratitude, and then they've gone back and heard the other stuff, and it's been really cool. You've got so you got you got uh, I don't know how true this is and it's nothing I was made aware of but there's some quite a couple of strange collaborations mm. I saw on uh, on Wikipedia with Lupe Fiasco. That's uh, true. Yeah. What, what what's the story there? I mean, I was uh, it was uh, the whole story is truly surreal. I was I was on tours online drawing I, and again I don't remember a lot but I remember this real clearly and I got a phone call. Uh, on you know very early flip phone cell phone thing and the reception's terrible and all that uh, and it's a guy saying he's from Lincoln Park and uh, I, I'd never hung out with them I obviously knew who they were and stuff you know they're massive um, yeah. and, and I think they liked Far and yeah. stuff like that and I think that's why he called me but he had heard the first one line drawing thing that I ever done that was on like a compilation. I was, I was, I was the first song on a comp fittingly called songs for the broken hearted. Um, and Jimmy Eat world was on it before they blew up and it was like a 99 compilation and a lot of other bands that, that went on to do cool things. But so I was the first song on that comp, the song Pollyanna and it was produced in a kind of a neat way. My friend Dana helped make it. Um, and so anyway, Mike, it turns out Mike Shinoda from Lincoln park was on the phone saying that he really <laughs> loved Pollyanna and he loved what I did in FAR and would I come and sing, like basically would I come down and do a session with him because he had some ideas. And his ideas uh, were singing a couple of hooks for a thing he was doing called Fort Minor. Um, so I ended up on a couple of tracks on that record. Um, and okay. yeah, well, and to date, the most popular thing i've ever had my name on is a single of theirs called where'd you go um and i was in that video and sang on the chorus uh 
and it was definitely the most famous I ever was to my daughter's friends because um, that song <laughs> okay, was really okay. big in the states, and and they would recognize me from the video. Um, yeah. So anyway, he was calling, and that was that that part of the session. Then the other part was he was producing a track for this artist Lupe Fiasco, and and I've always adored hip hop and grew up on it as much as I grew up on rock and roll, and I've I've never wanted to be a rapper, and I have really I've dreamt a lot of being the guy or, or woman or whatever you know like someone who sings the hook in between the verses um, I love the hook <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah. so he he wanted to play with the first lines of a far song called Nestle um, and he always wrote and he always called and he never lied because he never said anything at all and he didn't want to sample it though he wanted me to re-sing it so he could more effectively use it so I went in, I re-sang the, I sang the first bit of Nestle for him, and that's what ended up on the Lupe track. And I love so much the way they employed that hook. And uh, it's all bias aside, it's my favorite track on that. On the, it's on a record called Food and Liquor, um, okay. and uh, it's a really re- great record. But yeah, my little bit happens in a tune called the Instrumental. And uh, yeah, no, I think I think I'm I might be I might be you know the only artist to have kind of, you know, been on a Kimia Dawson record, Kimia Dawson record and a Lupe Fiasco record. I, I think that, you know, and, you know, and then if you throw in Lupe, Deftones, Kimia, like that's a pretty good triangle. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and then lots of other fun stuff too. But yeah, it's been, I love looking back on it, all of the, all of the different, places i've gotten to go to and all the different people i've gotten to play with because of music and doing it in a kind of idiosyncratic genre free way you mentioned you've been finishing up a book the last few years what's what, what's the deal with that is that out now or like is it yeah so it's pu- it's out um yeah i okay. um yeah it's uh it's called alone rewinding um which is an anagram of one line drawing because i'm a fucking nerd um, <laughs> uh, the first time you've done the anagram thing, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, actually, and it's funny. At the time when I thought of the anagram that became new and original, uh, I I thought of I was I was playing with one line drawing and seeing all the anagrams I could make from it. And one of the other ones was alone rewinding. And I mm-hmm. thought if I ever release any sort of anthology or a memoir or something that's the fucking title um and that this was in 2000 um so when i you know when it kind of came around that i i did want to try writing something down in earnest to kind of see what the hell had happened over the years that was the immediate title so yeah so it's alone rewinding 23 years of fatherhood and music and what it became is a book that it talks about my childhood for sure, but mostly it's from 94 on because it's about when I started doing music for a job and when I became a father and those two paths and how they pulled at each other and also supported each other and my just my journey through that adventure of trying to be a working artist and a decent dad. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it came out really beautifully. Um, I recorded the audiobook as well and made a whole 
you know, soundtrack kind of anthology thing that starts with like my high school talent show and moves on through all the different bands and stuff. And right, right. it was a really, uh, I'm not a particularly nostalgic person in general. And it was a really fun, you know, intense, painful, <laughs> uh, yeah, overwhelming thing to do to really take a look and try and do my, just to try and tell the story as best I could, like what the fuck had happened. Um, so yeah, it's, um, it's a, it, it is, it exists. It's, um, I didn't, I consciously didn't put it on Amazon or the audiobook on audible or whatever, because I have a real thing about middle entities that take a bunch of money for doing nothing. Um, I mean, I know I'm <laughs> okay. gonna, they're doing distribution, but digital distribution is just one of the great scams of ever because, you know, it's not like a fucking yeah. store. Um, <laughs> so it's it, so it, I, I really I, I that's my rebel streak is like, fuck you. I'm just going to do it on my own. So I did a Kickstarter for it. Uh, that went great. And um, yeah, I pressed up 2000 books. I've still got a few hundred. Um, so where, where can people get hold of that now? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, so I the the website jonamatranga.com okay. um and for anyone out there obviously listening just my name is so fucking weird that if you just do your best guess to spell Jonah Matranga and then add the word okay. music you will totally find me yeah. it'll be very easy <laughs> so that's my that's my these days yeah yeah that's my assurance to you is that i've got a very googleable name because it's weird <laughs> yeah um there's lots more jonas in the world now so jonah won't cut it but if you just sp- do jonah and then mangle matranga and then add music you'll find me cool. um, yeah. Yeah, sure. so yeah so that's and so the website has you know again ever since the first one line drawing.com it has always been the center of my musical life and it's tough these days again i don't know what i'd do if i was starting these days because networks kind of rule like if you're not if you're not participating in instagram and facebook yeah as an artist it's real real tough to to get out there um or or really jockeying on spotify for streams or you know there's other techniques there's other strategies but they all involve dealing with a middle entity who generally takes all the money (laughs) um and so the website is a, a a more sustainable way in the sense that if someone buys a book from me for 20 bucks, I get the fucking money. Um, but also it's a way that I get to communicate where I don't have to compete with advertising. I don't have to be bothered by trolls. I don't have to worry about my, uh, you know, my data being, you know, in my communication and my art and everything else. I don't have to worry about that being, you know, used in mine to make me a better consumer or to make the people who like my music better consumers. Um, it, uh, it's just a place that I am increasingly keeping everything. And right now, actually my goal for this year, aside from releasing something new is to build a world where if people want to come and find out just about anything, whether it's, you know, my, yeah, my, my, my personal history, my musical history, all of the bands, all the albums. I just wanted to come to one place and be able to at least find it and listen to it and, and hopefully help support me in making more of it. Um, but the point is really just have a little island on the internet where it all exists because it just it breaks my heart the way it can get so splintered up and unfocused these days. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wouldn't wouldn't disagree with that at all. It's a nice ethos to have, I guess. My favorite thing about the internet has never been promoting myself in a wide way. I don't really like doing that dance. But rather the ability to communicate someone again, someone really far away, especially like to set up a tour in the UK just you know, from my email list or whatever is so it's so satisfying. Yeah. Um and I just it's very it's tragic for me that artists have more tools than we ever had before to reach people directly and to show them our music directly. And yeah, there are so many entities um, from you know Spotify to Facebook who have inserted themselves in the middle of that relationship and basically fucked it up. Mm. Um, and because no one can make a ton of money, you know, can make Spotify money just providing artists really good tools to communicate with people directly. Uh, it, those are, tools are kind of difficult to find and they're getting to be a little bit better now, but the internet had such great promise, I thought, for in, especially independent artists and it's really, um, it's become a lot more difficult as any, as any working artist will tell you. Well, I guess, you know, you've always got, like, like you say, you've got that, that list of emails where you can literally just go anywhere in the world and get, get those shows. I know. Yeah, uh, well, unfortunately, though, the, e- the email list is such an antiquated thing. So uh, my, central, <laughs> my central concern right now is for people who want to hear from me, how do I effectively keep in touch with them without annoying the shit out of them or further overwhelming them with more emails you know um and right. so I'm, I'm i'm playing with different ways because i like direct contact i don't mm. I, I i that's what i enjoy and it's uh it's more and more difficult to do that um looking at sort of push notification stuff i've thought about building an app but that also you know the app overlords it's an incredibly expensive barrier to mm. make a functioning app that mm. would do anything interesting for anyone and be worth anyone having but so it's it's trip. It's a really it's a very interesting landscape right now. Do do you do a lot of you the, the the kind of web editing stuff for for your for your website or have you got kind of support with that? Um, I yeah, I've ropes? always it's always been pretty DIY. Um, I had a friend who helped me very early on in the very early days of the internet, and then I did it myself somewhat. I've had yeah, I've had I've had for sure help along the way. My friends Mark and Micah and. Um, various webmaster people along the way and I've done a lot of it myself and but again I've been so sad that a lot of really basic tools that I would have enjoyed having were very difficult to develop unless you were were a skilled web developer or had the money to pay one Um, and only recently I found this uh, this platform called Bandzoogle I'll shout them out um and uh, they are the first company I've seen to make a platform that an artist could use that pretty much covers all the bases. They've got um, subscription service built in where you can do, uh, you know, kind of a, like an ongoing crowdfunder patronage kind of thing that I'm doing, which is super fun. They, you know, they've got good, easy music players, a pretty good interface um, that you don't have to know about too much about the internet to do, basically. Um, about web development and web design so they're pretty great and they've opened up a lot of doors for me um and uh so i'm enjoying that i'm enjoying 
doing my own website a lot more than I have for the past several years because um, I'm finally doing it in a way that I feel like I'm able to deliver an easy and fun experience for people who care. I mean, I know you talk about the kind of the whole your your kind of living small ethos, and obviously that's helped kind of sustain kind of part of your career and enabled you to, to I guess, uh, bring up your daughter. Like as you say, I mean, obviously on the road you 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 get lots of I guess support from the relationships you develop. Well, what what does that kind of look like at home for you? Um, that kind of living small world. Um, I mean it. It looks like. A little rent-controlled apartment, um, and that you know, there's too much stuff stuffed into. I, I got married last year um, as well, which is a, which is a big and beautiful thing for me as my daughter kind of grows up. Congratulations! Thanks, man. How, it's really how old, good. How old is you? Your daughter now then? Well, she's, my daughter turned 25 oh, last wow. year. Oh wow! Right. Yeah. Wow. So so um, she's, you know, she's she's all grown up. So she's out of the house. Yeah. Um. And uh, so now my sweetie's here and um, we both are relatively cluttery kind of creatures. So looks like, yeah, looks like an overstuffed apartment um, and uh, and a lot of music gear laying around and working on my website, (laughs) Um, just working on staying in touch with people. Um, I'm I'm actually enjoying I was just talking to Amitabi about the. about how podcasts to me right now are really having a moment and what I'm enjoying, obviously some people are, you know, being really successful making them and all that stuff. And what I'm digging is a lot of the smaller kind of DIY podcasts, they kind of remind me of zine culture in the nineties when, when in the hardcore and punk and indie world, there are lots of people making little, little paper Xerox magazines with their little poems and shit on there and having, and I would do a lot of interviews with zines and now I'm talking on more and more podcasts and I, I'm having that same feeling that it's yeah. just, it's like someone just doing their yeah, little idea and doing the part to get, yeah. And I'm so happy that there's a technology that's that's allowing for that because there was a real democratization of journalism, I think, that happened with zines where people who really gave a shit were producing these little things that would really get the word out in some way or another. Yeah. And I'm hoping that podcasts can be similar these days. I, I mean, I think we've been really lucky, haven't we, Chris, in terms of, um, I guess people who are just, I guess from an era as well, they were just more than, we're just really pleased to just come on and talk to us and have yeah, yeah. have those these kind of nostalgic yeah. moments about about the you know their careers, um, you know. And I guess, yeah. I mean, it's we've been, we've been really lucky, and it's really really yeah. nice to see. We have been really lucky, and it's just and it's just nice for us just how accessible it is compared to like because you know we we grew up playing in bands and stuff but now we're sort of like mid to late 30s it's just like we can it feels like we're still involved in music by doing this you know what i mean like uh without having to go to band practice three nights a week or whatever so yeah it's a really cool thing yeah i just it's funny i just had a conversation with a guy doing a podcast over in the states called peer pleasure and he had a very similar story and i have the feeling that again that for me, the music scene has always been made up of, yeah, people in bands, but also people who either used to be in bands or want to be in bands or don't even want to be in bands. They just love music and they love the, the scene. Yeah. Um, and there's there's such a when it's when it happens right, it's a really functioning ecosystem because everyone's doing what they want to do and supporting each other and doing it as well. Um, and so, yeah, his story sounded a lot like yours. And 
I have the feeling that's a lot of people, and I, and I'm I'm just I'm just really happy it's happening. Awesome. Yeah, yeah for sure. Cool. Well, I think that's a, a quite a nice place to wrap up. Uh, Great. So uh, yeah, well, yeah, we yeah, we'd appreciate all the time you've given us, and we'll uh, let, let you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been a blast, and I look forward to hearing it. And just thanks for giving a shit enough about music, much less me, uh, to to talk. It feels really sweet. Yeah, no worries. We we'll hope I hope to see you back over here. I guess sometime in the in the not too distant future. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, please do direct people to the site, and because there's a sweet community there. And um, whenever I get over there, probably it's going to be in the summertime. Um, but I would please come and you know say hi um, and uh, remind me about our fun wasting timeness. Yeah, awesome. Right, <laughs> cheers, right, Jonah. Hundred percent. Enjoy your day, mate. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, we'd love it if you could subscribe to us uh, wherever you get your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any, anywhere like that. Um, also, check us out on social media. If, if you just search for Wasting Time Podcast on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, give us a like or a follow on any of those. And also, we love hearing from listeners as well. So uh, feel free anytime to drop us an email at the Wasting Time Podcast at gmail.com. Or obviously you can message us on social media as well. But um, yeah, we'll catch you next time. For you to arrive.